From the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University, this is Speaking Freely. Charlottesville, normally a quiet Virginia college town, but for two days in August 2017, suddenly a battleground for hundreds of white supremacists and neo-Nazis, confronted by counter-protesters. Three people died, and many others were injured. With a disturbing suddenness, we were compelled to face the questions raised by political extremism and free speech issues in the nation today. I'm Sanford Unger, and on this edition of Speaking Freely, our guest is Andrew Sullivan, writer-at-large for New York Magazine. Sullivan, a prominent conservative thinker, has been writing about First Amendment issues for decades, and since the violent events in Charlottesville, he's been trying to sort out the thorny free speech questions at the heart of this and other recent episodes. You know, I'm struggling what to think about it. Um, there's no question that there is a rise in reactionaryism across the world, that, that at a period of, of extraordinary demographic change, along with the sure. culture and economics, there is a quite predictable and not exactly surprising retrenchment in favor of more traditional ethno-states, which have been the overwhelming norm right. in human history until the last 50 years. But it might be very hard to preserve now. That's the deep worry underlying all this, is that in fact, We've only lived in these multicultural societies at the, at the degree and variety in which we currently live for maybe 30 or 40 years. That's right, at most. In the history of humankind, that's a blip. Right. Uh, and so far as we can see what's now happening to the Western multicultural democracies, they're all in some sort of spasm of identity with enormous amounts of panic and cultural anxiety and and self-harm as a response to it. We look at, I'm just looking at my own home country, Britain, where they're committing economic national suicide right. because they just can't handle the pace of change. And I do think it was naive to think you could have this massive change overnight without some kind of reaction to it. And when that reaction happens, not to see it as some sort of obvious, predictable human response. So the change you're talking about is the, the sort of decline of the old order, the, the orderly ethno-state, and this seemingly, in some places in Europe, and Trump would say here, out of control, multicultural surge. Let me give you a statistic which kind of staggered me when I first read it. In the year 2015, more people immigrated into the British Isles than had immigrated in the entire period from 1066 to 1950. Wow, that is staggering. It, it's, it is staggering. I mean, this is a huge demographic bulge that they're dealing with. Projections now of the British future population are somewhere around 80 to 90 million. They may overtake the Germans because there's been such a huge influx into the country. And it's not that big a country, it's relatively small. It's never had to absorb close to a million new people a year. Uh, my family members voted for Brexit, so I, I can see this up front. And when they, when they, they notice these, are, you can call this racism if you want. Go ahead. But when the most popular boy's name in Britain, baby boy's name now, is Muhammad, you can't expect certainly people, definitely of the older generations, not to feel this disorienting and unsettling. 
Um, so we can expect an upheaval. Yeah. And we can expect speech to reflect that yes, upheaval. Absolutely. And stepping from Britain to the U.S., where it has different character, different ramifications, what are the implications here for speech? They are that we are going to be hearing a lot more radical speech right. on all sides. You know, along the rise of white nationalism in this country, you've also had uh, a sort of new black nationalism um, in which white people are inherently suspect. Uh, I mean, you, you can see that in the work of someone like Ta-Nehisi Coates, mm -hmm. who's now the most important intellectual for the, for the liberal left in the country. And the goal of a free society is not to panic at this, to allow this to actually take its course. It's a natural phenomenon in the context of this kind of social change. It's going to result in some horrible things. It may even result in disasters like the Trump presidency or Brexit. Without that context, if you have no idea of that context or history or demographics, and you just suddenly see people being racist, you can jump to the wrong conclusions. You, right. you, you can overreact to what is happening. And, and, and there seems to be an inability of some people to understand that humans are not that good a species, <laughs> you know, that, that, that we're, we're, we're not good people. And, and, and attempting to make sure that everybody is virtuous all time and aren't that's very That's a very difficult assignment. It is, but and, and it, it, what it does, if you're not careful, in my opinion, is it actually increases the power of what you're resisting. By pushing it back very far and past, you may get a worse response. That's my concern. That by telling Trump voters you're racists and bigots and privileged to boot, you're not actually going to get them to weaken their attitudes. You're going to get them to double down on sure. them. Sure. And they're not, it's not just going to go away. And if you try to shut them up and, and they don't have outlets, it will go underground and it will It will get even worse. Right. And it has gotten even worse partly because of that. I mean, you, the alt-right's emergence online is, especially among the young, is, I think, some sort of response to the, to the increasing sense they're not allowed to say what they're feeling. Right. So one of the symptoms seems to be that a character like Richard Spencer, um, I've never met him, have you? No, thank God. Yeah. Uh, he seems to have a cachet. He, he doesn't drool, and so he, he knows how to speak in a polite society. He has an office in Old Town Alexandria. Suit and tie. Uh, out of which he operates, right, suit and tie. So he decides, I want to go to the University of Florida. And the University of Florida, for its whatever. Well, he didn't, he didn't decide that, right? He gets invited. No, he was not invited oh, to really? the University of Florida. Oh. University of Florida is one of several examples where the university and the state have no regulations to prevent him from coming and, on the contrary, have an obligation if he wants to rent a public facility on a public university campus, have an obligation to. Okay, that's interesting. If he can I, pay the freight, they have an obligation to rent it to him. So he comes, invited by no one. Uh, everyone panics. The president of the university panics. The governor panics, calls a state of emergency so he can ship in more police, more people to uh, help protect everyone on all sides. And when he gets there, people start to shout him down. Uh, they turn their backs. They hold up signs. They prevent him from being heard until he finally gives up. Now, 
when we pick that incident apart, who's right and who's wrong, and, and what are the lessons for the next time it, it happens? Is it true, or is it reasonable to argue, as many college and university presidents do, that you must never disrupt someone's speech, that whether invited or not, self-invited, you have to hear them out. That's the American way. Him out. And so then who gets arrested or gets in trouble are the people trying to interrupt Richard Spencer. There's no evidence to believe that Richard Spencer has any sort of constituency at the University of Florida, but it's the people who try to stop him from talking who get into trouble. I would draw a distinction between disrupting speech and shutting it down. And I think that's an important Explain distinction. That. Yeah. Heckling, protesting, even the quip that comes across in the middle of someone's speech from the audience that completely demolishes an argument or, or makes a point with humor that, that completely disarms people right. and makes the speaker's point less plausible or credible. That's, that is speech. And, you know, democratic speech, is, especially in public and debates, has been full of that stuff since sure. time immemorial. And it's kind of important, I think, to defend that. On the other hand, if the goal is not to counter and to disrupt or to protest in some way or to chip away at his speech, but to actually prevent him saying anything at all, then I think you go into a different dynamic. Now, that's a hard line Sure, it's very hard police. line to draw. It is. So, for example, if Charles Murray goes to Middlebury, it seems to me perfectly legitimate for them to chant and hold up signs for 15 minutes or so, at which point there is an understanding that he's allowed to speak. Uh, but when the whole point of it is to render certain thoughts and ideas impermissible, then you're, then you're actually, you've, tipped, you've gone over that particular line. I know that's a difficult line to police. If I thought the goal of the protesters was to expose the fallacies or, or pomposities or <laughs> flaws in the man's speech, I would, you know, there's no question whatsoever that it's a legitimate thing. But they weren't about that, actually, at Middlebury, and they aren't about that in other places. They are simply saying, this must not be heard. Right. They are saying this, to hear this, to tolerate this, to sponsor it, demeans us. Yes, and also harms people. others right. in some Way that psychological harm. some psychological harm, which is you know one's always psychologically harmed when proven wrong right. about something. It's you know <laughs> I don't like finding that I've made an error you know in right. my writing. Well, or I don't know if they're being proven wrong, but they're being challenged in a way that they find insulting in some cases. Well, more demeaning. than that, because the argument actually is that he's destroying the lives of minorities. He's leading to the deaths of minorities in the spectrum of oppression and victimhood that the left currently has. Now, that only makes sense if you really do believe that your life is determined and affected and defined by your racial, gender, uh, socioeconomic, and almost endlessly proliferating so, so possible victimhood. So if you don't subscribe to that essentially Marxist analysis of what makes people's lives worth living and, and what what meaning their lives have, then of course it doesn't harm anybody. But if you buy that, of course speech, but Marxism has never defended free speech. Obviously harm is... No, that's right. It's important to make a distinction between using 
liberalism and free speech to counter bad speech and to come from a worldview in which all speech is essentially harm by anybody who is in any way above you in this hierarchy of oppression. And therefore, it's just violence. The speech is the violence. The speech is violence. Yes. The speech is the equivalent of violence. It's tantamount They actually don't even say that. They say it, it is, is violence. It, it then is they violence. go one stage further and say uh, white silence is violence, which is one of the big slogans you'll hear on white campus. White silence is in, violence. In response to... In, in response to the systemic oppression right. that exists all around us right. in which white people are particularly complicit. Right. For people to be silent about that, not to actually actively endorse this agenda, is a form of is violence. Well, this is so inimicable to any understanding of free speech because it's inimicable to liberalism, more generally speaking, which is a particular intellectual construct that's right. only existed that, for you know, a few hundred years at most. It counts um, upon a constant exchange of ideas. Yes, because we're all right. actually understood to be equal reasonable beings. Right. In which right. reason is our fundamental thing in common and in which anybody can have a better argument at any time or right. worse argument. But I suppose part of the, one of the, one of the uh, counters to that is that it's not a level playing field, that some people are more likely to be heard than others, that some people, their voices are not heard and so therefore they react, perhaps overreact, to hearing the ideas of but those But they're not responding by making an argument. Yeah. They're responding by shutting down shutting somebody's down. ability to right. speak. That is the critical difference here. But now, at the same time, you say that shouting down or turning your back or holding up signs or interrupting the speech of Spencer at University of Florida, Charles Murray at Middlebury and some other places, that up to a point, that is free speech too, yeah. that disruption. That's why I'm opposed to the Wisconsin, uh, the University of Wisconsin proposal uh, in which all disruption right. itself is, is, is regarded as a, 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 a some sort of right. violation. Well, of, that, that is becoming yeah. a, a, a popular way for embattled, overwhelmed college and university administrators to deal with things, and in fact, some state legislatures are passing laws saying you must expel, suspend, punish students who disrupt speakers, which, of course, the last thing we need is for state legislatures to tell us. Right. And again, it's, it's very complicated what disrupt can mean. Look, I, I, right. I grew up in the Oxford Union. Right. So when I think of the debates there and the rules that apply, yes, heckling can come and people can suddenly burst out laughing and the speaker is reduced to tears, well, just internally anyway. Morally um, yeah. But also when you want to interrupt someone in the mid-speech, and this happens also in the parliament, you don't have automatic interruption, but you do have a form in which you stand up and stand up there and wait and, and as to point out to the speaker that you, have a, you want to say something to object to that particular point. And it, in those traditions, the speaker has a choice. Do I sit down and let this person actually speak and then respond? Or do I continue on, ignore these people, and look to the rest of the crowd as if I'm just ducking right. an important question? That's a way in which the liberal tradition of, of, of parliamentary debate allows for this, this thing. Some um, give and take which some little give and take. Which diffuses some of the tension around it. Yes. And I think, uh, so for example, I think it's it should be possible for a, 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 a group of students who have completely different views of the speaker 
for one part of them to actually use this beginning of the speech or to disrupt and to make a statement, and then to let the speaker make his or her case, and then to have to and fro questions and so on and so forth. I think that's win-win. But, it's, but that only matters, it only counts if the people protesting are really doing it for that purpose. And if they haven't bought into the underlying ideology, right. which is that the speech itself is someone's being hurt right now in front of me, physically hurt. Therefore, this must be stopped as if I'm watching a crime take place. Right. That is, you know, that you have to understand the intellectual underpinnings of this. It is because these students are being taught in these colleges by neo-Marxists who really don't believe in speech at all. And that is now the framework for the entire college. In other words, if you are black, if you are Latino, if you have some, if you are gay, if you're whatever, you, you belong in this particular special category because you're constantly in, in danger of being violated, um, then of course the attitude towards speech is going to be completely different. Andrew Sullivan, writer-at-large for New York Magazine. For an extended version of our conversation, you can visit the Speaking Freely section of our website, freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. Our project is funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation and Georgetown University. I'm Sanford Unger. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Speaking Freely.